in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scars. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, or the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I am Andrew Berg, and joining me, as always, she begged for 30 minutes of uninterrupted time to talk about the run defense, and I said, we're not doing that today. It's Gaby Lucas. Gaby, you're going to be able to get through the show oh, without spending 30 minutes talking about- What a true about sentence you've just said. The X's and O's of the run defense. What a non-lie uh, that you've just just put out into the world. Yeah let's just full of non-lies oh wait and also we're now we were bumped down we were the third or fourth most mediocre we've been bumped down to the fourth or fifth most mediocre husky football podcast because christian capel now has a podcast and is by every quantifiable measure better than both of us oh yeah i see when i hear that i feel like that's rating it bottom up like the ones that are more mediocre, this doesn't matter. Oh. But I think of it as being like the most mediocre Husky football podcast is worse than us. And then we're counting up. So technically we're still third or fourth most That's mediocre because Christian Capel is just like a good Husky. Fo- I haven't listened to it yet. I'm sure it's I a great either. Husky football podcast. Um, and we're just third or fourth most mediocre. That's a good point. Never mind. I take it back. I take it all back. <laughs> and with that in mind, hello, proving our... our mediocrity let's talk about the ucla game for as much time as we can do we have uh, before we start like pulling out hair and whatnot uh you know if we're trying to find silver linings you could say that the offense the passing game looked dangerous at times uh offensively but i I feel like for every good throw dylan morris had like that that you know when he dropped in the bucket in the corner for romo dunze in the end zone was beautiful it seemed like there were two throws that were just either very ill-advised or poorly executed and the run game offensive play calling was the same as it has ever been just the same run in the a gap over and over and get two yards a pop did you learn anything new from this game is there anything about this game that changed your opinion about any part of the offense so here's the thing no period so maybe I guess I thought I thought felt feel a little bit worse about Dylan Morris, but like it's all relative at this point. Effectively, the answer is no. End of discussion. Well, that was going to be the follow up question. And maybe it's better to take a wider angle on Dylan Morris and look at it not just from the last two weeks, the last, you know, from before the Oregon State game to now or whatever. But coming into the year to now, has your opinion of Morris his career trajectory his skill level changed at all or are is this more of a feeling that he's been put in a bad situation and it's reversible if the the things around him change um I so I mean I, I think I talked about this we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that where, where my fear around him is like obviously he wasn't ever going to be the most physically talented whatever blah 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 but we saw last year plenty of really the primary thing coming at out of it last year was like, all right, he needs to improve his deep ball, which is a very like concretely identifiable way to do that. That isn't like complicated or anything. And it's just like, put more air on it, like make it a 
a, a deeper parabola like that's not fancy um and then you know that was easily the the biggest thing he had to improve on and it was really straightforward otherwise it was like all right you were more mobile than Browning and Eason you have a better arm strength than Browning you're you're more poised than either of them like you're and in when I looked at him it was like all right we theoretically have like a younger version of Ian Book on our hands which is like not a, it's like not a sexy quarterback to have but like a very very high functioning quarterback and so coming into this year I feel like in every single way and every single thing that you measure a quarterback by, he appears worse. Yeah. And when you've already seen him do those things, albeit again, imperfectly, but fine for the most part last year and with real promise that should have been going in a positive trajectory. And when you see him take a step back in pretty much every single um, category, then my immediate thought is like, well, this is, co- this is coaching. And granted, it doesn't really matter like what the whole thing is, because if it's the coaching or if it's him, the end result is still like, well, you know, yeah. now you have a really low ceiling with him. Yeah. Um, but the I Bill don't. Bill Parcells thing, right? Like you are yeah. what your results say you are. Yeah. So I, and I think he, he's getting a, you know, reasonably so a decent amount of flack on the internet, et cetera. But um I think my, you know, based on everything I've said, I think that just like everything else that's been a failure with this team comes down to the coaching. Yeah. I think the way you said that, the way, the reason I had been optimistic about Morris previously was that he was a player without an obvious weakness, kind of like you were saying, Mm -hmm. he wasn't elite at anything, but he could move pretty well. He had pretty good awareness and decision-making for a freshman when he was playing as a freshman. Yeah. He had enough arm strength to get the ball to the sidelines, you know, like across the hash marks when he needed to. He, uh, you know, moved around reasonably well. Uh, You're right that the deep balls were uh, sometimes erratic, but he could usually get them there. Yeah. And that's Uh, a basic thing. It's like not hard to improve. Although now that you say that, it's almost like you willed the game losing throw into existence by putting too much air. I know under that deep ball to McMillan, which Except was, for here's the thing. There wasn't too much air on that. He just underthrew it from that trajectory. The whole yeah. trajectory of it was pretty. Anyways, if anyone wants to talk to me about really in-depth shit, it's always throwing because that was the one thing I could do. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, sorry, did not mean you're, to interrupt you. Yeah, Go yeah on. he, he <laughs> seemingly just misjudged that. Yeah, but, it was just so, misjudgment. It, yeah. And, and one of the, the reasons it's nice to be kind of even across the board like that, like kind of good at everything and not great at any one thing is that it gives you different trajectories or different paths to success Mm -hmm, except he somehow got worse at all of those things like you said like he went from being above average but not great at five things to being below average at five things Mm -hmm. from one year to the next which is just bizarre and I agree like it's it's hard to imagine that his skill level in all those different areas changed. And the, the thing that has been the most unexpected for me is how erratic he's been on short throws. Yes. Yeah, even when he's not under pressure. And this has happened in almost every game. I think it's been most severe in the Montana game and most, and, and then it was happened again this week in the UCLA game where he's just standing there. There's no pressure on him. He's got a guy open and he just throws it like three feet behind him. 
and, yeah. and there's no reason for it. The mechanics are fine. The guy's open. It, it's just like he's so nervous or so in his head that he's just not doing the natural thing. Or maybe that's just that's just a guess. I don't know what the answer is, but it yeah. is bizarre. Yeah, and it, it all points back to both like the coaching and like what you alluded to of him being in his head. Like when when you're in a shitty position as a team like this. Yeah, and actually, I talked about this last year after the Utah game when he threw those three interceptions, be, and it was like run, run, pass, punt. Where like oh. if you're putting your quarterback in a position where every throw matters that much more because you're not explosive and you're not giving him that many opportunities to do that much because you're just running it in the a gap and then you're boom, it's like third and seven. That is a pretty good scenario for a guy to get in his head and not just like act or react yeah and there's probably another layer to that predictability like it's very easy to see when you run straight up the middle every time that the defense just keys on that and they say okay like we're gonna fill this gap <laughs> and yeah. it, like it's very easy watching the game in person or on tv to just identify that that's what's happening it's probably a, a little bit harder when you run the same pass patterns over and over to see that the secondary is just very comfortable covering them like there's mm-hmm. nothing unexpected, very little play action, very like nothing for them to look out for. And it probably has the same effect there. Although there are times where there are guys getting open. I, I think just as a corollary to this discussion, this was the first time all year we had kind of our core of pass catchers uh, all playing at the same time, being Terrell Bynum, Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunze, and Kate Otten all playing at the same time. And there, it didn't amount to much. Yeah. Rome had a couple nice plays. Uh, Jalen had that one deep root that that drew a pass interference. Kate Otten was, I mean, kind of invisible for most of the game. They went to bind him a few times. I, I, I don't recall anything particularly explosive in his direction after the very early part of the game. And once again, we kind of saw like the offense went from looking like kind of promising at, in the early going when the plays were scripted and they there was a little bit more creativity to them to just do the same shit over and over in the second half as as has become custom is there anything again I guess is this anything different for you like why do you think having these four receivers back didn't make more of a difference I guess I like that question but um because it does kind of make you think but I think that's just like how I think that speaks to like the magnitude of the suckage um, and predictability of this offense, because it is like, if you have a a relatively competent scheme and uh, philosophy and everything, then like one, you know, getting that core back, even if you're not great, but you're just fine, like that should elevate it a significant amount. But at a certain point, I feel like if you're buried by just your own, foundation then it kind of doesn't even matter who is like like who's playing that sounds really bleak but i and you know i'm sure obviously if we had if we had less talented players it would look even worse but like your talent if if it doesn't really matter how talented you are if you're if your whole x's and o's are just you know i mean we're not blind i'm just gonna gesture out to the world because whoever's listening to this knows exactly what I'm referring to. So does that make well, sense? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, I mean, I, I wanted to kind of move off the offense and talk about defense, yeah. but the way you were just describing that, it may kind of ephemerally be the same answer to the question about 
our defensive approach. And I'm going to go back a couple weeks, two, three weeks ago now when Coach B was on the podcast. One of the things we talked about was there's a defensive philosophy that goes back several years, certainly to earlier in Pete Kwiatkowski's tenure as defensive coordinator, where we as a defense kind of sacrifice explosive plays for forcing offenses to beat us over a longer drive. Like the assumption seems to be if we can force you to convert a bunch of third downs, eventually you're going to get cocky or you're going to make a mistake or you're going to commit a penalty and you're not going to be able to go down the field four yards at a time. That's fine philosophically, but it hasn't worked. And (laughs) we say, you know, usually that philosophy ends up, I think it's, it's very valid. I mean, it's kind of what the new England Patriots have done forever and it has worked for them. And there are a lot of other examples of just kind of like letting offenses beat themselves being pretty effective. We have, I think it seems like teams have kind of figured out there are five yards there for the taking. If we just kind of run, uh, you know, off tackle in opposite directions and have our quarterback uh, run a few RPOs and scramble every now and then the yardage that we need will be there. And there have, we're seeing these long, 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 like 12, 13, 14 play drives where we can't get off the field. I mean, the fourth quarter, I went back and looked at this. UCLA had about 11 minutes time of possession in the fourth quarter for a Chip Kelly team that, that actively tries to minimize time of possession. Like, how is this? What gives? Like, why? That's hilarious. How, how is, like, where's the breakdown? Like, why is, why is it so obvious for other teams to know what to do against us and we haven't come up with the counter move to this point i think it's just arrogance and i think that and I, this is all like just conjecture you know so you know nothing that either about us either you or i say right now could be like taking a straight fact but like if you look at what makes the really really good coaches and like the generationally successful coaches how they are is because they in in fact you could take this beyond coaches you could take this to leadership on any level the companies that crash and burn the any sort of sports program that crashes and burns it's because eventually people just believe too much in their own infallibility and like and, and for i mean that's why what like chip i mean even like chip kelly in the nfl like in in Jimmy Lake like being so successful as a DB coach and having his own experience where for him personally he took a lot away from the NFL making him overvalue NFL experience and taking you know John Don and overvaluing his experience in the NFL because of the inability to understand that like or the inability to comprehend or consider that like there's multiple routes to get to being good at what you are you alone do not have like you like just you, you you're not as smart as you think you are and i think especially and this might and this might i don't know make people angry listening to this but there is like a routine and this is empirically proven over and over and over again and has been for decades um, by scientific institutions across continents that men of a certain age believe in themselves disproportionately beyond what their actual abilities are. Um, and I'm not like saying that to trash on, you know, like men or whatever, because it's, but 
if you look at especially compounding that and if anyone wants to like email me or whatever i can point you to dozens of studies <laughs> that prove this um um on a macro scale um obviously there are exceptions that when you look at the the way or the the way that pe people who are college football coaches or NFL coaches or whatever, if you look at the way that they, the, the life trajectory and the professional trajectory of how they get to be where they are, it's a really myopic professional development because you start off it, other, other than, I mean, very few people like Mike Leach, for example, didn't play college football. You spend your whole life playing football. Then you play college football. Then maybe you go to the NFL or you don't and you go straight into coaching. And then you rise in the ranks there, oftentimes under one coaching tree. And you're not really exposed to diversity of like ideas and uh, themes and schemes and philosophies, both on the field or off. So like then when you look at like all these coaches in the same way that you look at all these coaches who are amazing at either being defensive backs coaches or DCs or OCs or whatever, and then suck shit as a head coach. It's like, of course they do because they don't have any other experience beyond this tunnel vision. So why would they be able to adapt to run an entire program and then be able to adapt to the challenges that happen and then be able to admit that they don't know anything. And then even if they do admit that they don't know everything, to do that then to is one step, but to actually know where to go and what to search out is a whole other thing that I think a lot of those a lot of coaches, and I think Jimmy like might be one of them, aren't equipped to deal with because their entire life has been very much in a tunnel. And yeah. I yeah. did not mean to go on a rant, but I kind of was <laughs> discovering that as I was saying it. Um, so, you know, I guess it's not shocking, but it, it is still kind of bizarre to think that like nobody thought, no one's ever thought to like become smarter. And that's something that I liked about Chris Peterson. You know, he wasn't perfect, but at least he was very open about like, don't be a myopic dumb shit. Uh, yeah, so, I think yeah. The, the, the difference that seems more and more obvious is like the willingness to admit your own flaws like yeah admit what you don't know approach every situation with humility uh and try to learn from everything that you do and it seems like we're kind of going the opposite way like every piece of counter evidence is in fact proof that you are right all along somehow mm -hmm. but you did remind me in your description of men of a certain age <laughs> of one of my all-time favorite onion article headlines uh okay. which was now I, I had to look it up while you were talking yeah now, amazingly 18 years old is take charge can do guy makes horrible decisions and it's, yeah. a, it's a description of a really good worker with a really great attitude who's terrible at his job yeah yeah um, and you know i'm not it's obviously this isn't something that's like exclusive to 50 year old men or anything there's plenty of there's plenty plenty of young people there's plenty of women whatever but it is a um a behavior that is especially seen in uh <laughs> in that demographic and that is a demographic that is almost exclusively the people who run college football so yeah and but, obviously even those people exist across a, a, across a spectrum because mm -hmm. like the most like kind of the archetype of the great college football coach of this generation is Nick Saban and definitely seems like a person who thinks that his shit doesn't stink but at the same time 
is very willing and able to adapt his coaching styles to fit yeah. uh, changing needs, changing, uh, you know, football environments yeah. and uh, has done that really well. 100%. And I think that's something about Saban that's like so unique is that he, I think the thing he's done is establish that his culture is like the thing that he's going to keep, like he will not sway on. And he's built up such a good culture with such a high talent level that like you're either going to sink or swim. And if you're going to be, if you're going to be a recruit who comes in as a five-star and, th- and is entitled and kind of a little bitch, then like, yeah, you're going to, you're not going to, you better learn to like claw your way out of it. But, but unlike so many co- uh, coaches in many sports, like schematically, he has actually been really, really adaptable far more so than people who we otherwise might associate more so with um, being fluid and, and uh, progressive. And so that's something that, you know, he, I, I hate the concentration of power in college football, just because so much of it is like so cynical and depressing, but I do respect Nick Saban for, for that reason, for sure. Yeah. Reasons why Nick Saban is good is definitely core to our discussion of what mm-hmm. we're going against the UCLA in the game. <laughs> yep. Speaking of people who flamed out at Alabama, was there a more just gut wrenching or whatever like <laughs> vomit inducing moment in the last week's game than when uh ali keho made a tackle for loss and then the commentary team spent the next like minute and a half talking about how talented he was and how, what a shame it is he had to leave alabama and ucla <laughs> the rich gets richer with no mention whatsoever of the deliberate fraud perpetrated by his yeah uh his guardians or whatever the situation was yeah Let's. We came up with a. I, I invented a, a new segment, which I think now counts as the first segment on this yeah. show. Have we ever uh, had a segment? We have no. segment number one. That can be an segment option. One it's a, I, I've come up with some ideas for names. It's a buy or sell game where I'm going to like say something like true or false, and then you'll tell me whether you buy it or sell it and why. Uh, two other names I came up with is woof or whimper, and bark <laughs> or bite. Um, <laughs> I, I had some other very tortured, convoluted one that involved ducks and cougars, but I, it's not even worth saying here. So, uh, well, we just do one of each. So, first, buy or sell, wolf or whimper, bark or bite. Uh, Jimmy Lake deserves another year, regardless of how this season ends. Do you buy or sell that? Do you wolf or whimper that? I think regardless is the uh, key word there. And regardless of how this season ends, no. And if he, if he <laughs> undoes his vaccine status, he no longer yeah, <laughs> he gets unvaccinated and loses out the year. Probably, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, if he lost out the year, I'd be like, no, fire him. And I think, you know, um, like we've talked kind of ad nauseum about this the last couple episodes that there would have to be a lot of changes in made immediately for me to even consider it. And I don't, I don't even really know where I stand, like personally on, but I need to see evidence of him. I get like what we just ranted on for however many minutes. Like I need to see evidence of him actually doing something with these losses and becoming more adaptable and not just sticking his head in the sand. So I think that's, that that is what, what determines my answer I have yeah i think I, I agree with you and i i think that's very important um i don't think in reality it will matter i think he's going to be back next year unless there's some kind of non-football related problem with the program which 
doesn't seem right to me. It seems like there are a lot of underlying issues and due to be evaluated, but I, I ultimately don't think it's going to make much of a difference. So second uh, thing, bark or bite. If UW has, has to hire head football coach, Jen Cohen is the right person to make that decision. Uh, I also don't know this either. And part of, I know there's like a pretty vocal contingent on like Twitter and stuff who hates Jen Cohen and everybody with the AD. And I'm not here to say like, you're wrong and I hate you, but um, I just don't, uh, again, humility. Uh, no, uh, I'm the most humble person in the world. I don't know. Oh, congratulations. I don't know. That's super cool. Yeah. I'm like so humble. Um, I don't know. And I, I, I think part of this is just not, I, I know, I know pretty much for a fact that, that based on my brief interactions with some of the sports information department people last spring and summer, like that they are having financial issues on some level. I don't know if that's huge or whatever, but I do know that they had to like, like lay off uh, an amount of people. And so obviously like that is something that underlines all this. And like, I think obviously, for example, when people talk about like, oh, Cohen was bad because she retained Hopkins, like that to me is very clearly was a financial decision. And when you're looking at like, well, if long-term apathy loses us more money than short-term being able to keep them on, you know, that's obviously a cost benefit that you need to make, but who knows? Um, and then also, I feel like there is a lot of revisionist history going on about Cohen hiring Lake afterwards, uh, after as like just going straight from Peterson to Lake is like, oh, this is a market with terrible AD because like, obviously in hindsight, he's not doing too hot, but you had just had like the Urban Meyer to Lincoln Riley transition. And the year before, yeah, the year before that, the Bob Stoops or sorry did I say Urban Meyer Urban Meyer to Ryan Day and then I was trying to remember I mean I know Urban Meyer is kind of itinerant and maybe Lincoln (laughs) Riley will replace him in Jacksonville but it hasn't happened yet yeah I would not want to yeah anyways you know so it was like a trajectory that college football of like these three generationally important head coaches pass picking a success successor like that wasn't this like crazy lazy notion so you know I don't think I don't think that's the mark of a bad athletic director so yeah I I just I don't I don't know (laughs) I'm I'm comfortable I'm confident in saying I don't know what the answer is yeah I don't know yeah it's it again I think the way you said that like criticizing the decisions that Cohen has made shows a lack of humility or a lack of curiosity by the person making those arguments is exactly where what I think because like while hiring the men's basketball and football coaches are the most high profile and probably most important individual yeah, decisions an athletic director makes they're like such an incredibly tiny part of what the job is that like this is one of those jobs where there is there is no game tape on what an athletic athletic director is doing. We can't go back and evaluate every decision. We're not in a position to make those judgments. And like you said, the hindsight on both of those uh, hires is su- such revisionist history that in in the case of Hopkins, almost universally, yeah, was just like lauded and celebrated. Yeah, exactly. And and to the point where people were like, I didn't even realize there was a chance of getting him out of Syracuse. 
I mean, yeah. I did say from the beginning that it was a terrible idea culturally because Syracuse is rotten to his core. I do love your hatred of Syracuse. It's, it's the very worst. Yeah. Um, but I mean, most, like every expert was in favor of that uh, yeah. hire when it was made. And then he won coach of the year in the conference two years in a row. So like, yeah. yes, things went wor- got worse later, but it wasn't like it was such an awful decision at the time. And yeah. then the same thing with Lake. The people, I, I, you know, there's no way to prove this. I have a very strong suspicion that the people who uh, said that, or who are now saying that Cohen is the wrong person to hire the next head coach because she hired Jimmy Lake and that hasn't worked out would have been absolutely irate if she uh, went against Peterson's wishes in hiring his successor in saying like, it, like if Peter, if it was well known that Peterson wanted Lake to succeed him and uh, Cohen said, no, actually we're going to conduct a nationwide search. I think that would have been a very, very unpopular decision at the time. Uh, so saying now that that would have been a better approach seems disingenuous. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I think there's plenty of like genuine criticism. I don't think that like criticizing an ID, I, I, I don't think that criticizing an AD like on principle is like full shit or anything. Like, I think, I think there's plenty. I think one thing that has been floated about on, on Twitter, et cetera, as a criticism that's very valid is that like, UW does not do a good job marketing their program period like and I totally agree with that and I think that's something that that should be way bigger considering uh, you know Washington's status and prestige within the west coast and you know just everything kind of west of the Great Plains um but yeah there's just I think there is a lot of revisionist history going on about the uh takes on when Lake and Hopkins are both hired yeah um Okay, I've got two more of these. I'm going to try to be quicker. Uh, so back to Wolf or Whimper. <laughs> if Dylan Morris doesn't improve in the next two games, Sam Heward should become the starting quarterback for the rest of the season. The, I, my answer to everything is is all if, then, maybe. Yeah. My answer is maybe to everything. Um, I mean, that's better than just like going in as a blowhard and, and yeah. saying you absolutely know the answer. I think we yeah. established that. I know Stephen A. Smith hour. or Skip Bayless. What are we even talking about here? Yeah. What are you, you don't know anything. Yes. Um, no. So here's my caveat is that, like, in a vacuum, if Dylan Morris continued to play it like he did against UCLA, if he continued to play like that for the next two weeks in a vacuum, I'd be like, hell yeah, put Heward in. But the thing I don't want to do is then put Heward in and then destroy his development because that's pretty much what we saw with Dylan Morris and he was a much lower ceiling guy. So like the idea of fucking up Heward, oh, I made it so far without swearing. The idea of fucking up Heward though is like unforgivable. And and, um, I think I would still or on the side of saying bye for that, like putting Sam Heward in theoretically two weeks from now if Dylan Morris doesn't improve. But the, I just can't get that idea out of my head of putting him in, throwing him to the wolves in a really crappy offense to be thrown into as a true freshman. Although, of course, what would be even worse is just letting the program burn without him having a, a hand in it and then him like transferring or something. Um, which I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I think you're right that there are a lot of unknown variables that impact that decision. Like if, I mean, there's all this talk about like who's really running the offense and is Jimmy mm. Lake letting, like, I, we don't know the answers to any of those questions and that matters. And you know, what Lake and Donovan both 
think and perceive their job security security to be and what it actually is also both have an impact. So it's very hard to answer, but I will just say earlier this season, basically up until about two weeks ago, I thought the idea of even trying another quarterback was completely off the table. I'm at least open to the possibility now. Um, yeah. It's that's kind of where I am too. Yeah. Um, last one, the 2020 and 2021 recruit recruiting classes are evidence that UW is falling down the PAC 12 pecking order. We have to think 2021 and 2022 this year and last year. Yeah. I don't think it's evidence that UW is like from an institutional standpoint, falling down the pecking order. I think it is another example of the coaching staff, not holding themselves or the program or whatever you want to call it to a a high enough standard of what they want, what we, and I assume they want to be performing at. I still don't think like, but yeah, institutionally, I still feel like UW is pretty much more or less stands where it, where it has for a long time in the pecking order. But but if you want to look at like how that'll affect just like an like on field performances, two, three, four, five years down the road, then then yeah, then that could definitely and I wouldn't be shocked if it does affect their on field ceiling down the road and in in that packing order yeah i think that's fair i i would i think the criticism of last year's class is like a little uh ham-fisted most of the time it's just like hey we lost these two five-star guys in state and we didn't get uh, we finished like sixth or whatever it ended up being in class rating in the pac-12 when you know we did get sam heward as a five-star I mean that was kind of a layup though (laughs) I mean sure but I mean if the program was a complete shambles he probably wouldn't have been interested in it I know that he committed much earlier when we were still like in our string of New Year's Day bowls and everything and it sucks that we didn't get the two other in-state like nationally top recruit national top recruits but it was still player a small class but the average rating of the recruits we got was very much in line with the last four or five years so if the criticism is really just that it's a smaller class that had nothing to do with jimmy lake it was that was how many scholarships were left i'm more concerned with this year because it seems like there are a lot more swings and misses in this class yeah i agree uh, and and that kind of thing like when you prioritize somebody and then can't get them uh is evidence that you're like what you're selling is not yeah getting bought and you know that's what? a problem I had an idea that I think a way that I personally would be of use as an employee of the, if I were to theoretically be employed by the University of Washington football program as a recruiting communicator is because one thing like when those, those like um, athletic series, uh, like recruiting confidential kind of things, um, they did talk a lot about how certain programs would reach out to people all the time and so, and some would do it too much and some wouldn't enough and there wasn't anything that i don't think there wasn't anything about washington specifically but obviously the general sense is that like washington is more laid back in recruiting and isn't necessarily isn't as super high contact as oregon and i'm not saying that's like a great thing or whatever um obviously it has not given the class of 2022 a very great high ceiling as far as talent level, but they should just hire me and then just give me wine 
and then be like, because there's nothing, nobody does anything better than me getting moderately tipsy and then just texting people, not like in an embarrassing way, like not like texting an ex and being like, I miss you, but just like texting friends being like, I miss you, man of it. But in a dignified Puka Dakua is gonna roll his eyes so hard at these texts. Yeah, yeah. Puka, we want you back. We miss you so much. No, yeah, I would be I would be so such a great corn uh not coordinator, recruiting communicator of of just just give me a bottle of wine. I'll send I'll I'll get in contact with all their all their targets and it will be just filled with genuine earnest care because I don't mean to brag, but drunk me is really nice. This is, people don't know this, but this is like one third of the recipe for the UW softball success. Just it, it, unaffiliated yeah. gave you just tweeting yeah. at players and recruits. That would um, be so creepy if that were true. <laughs> and as far as everybody knows, it is. We're going to take a break. Yeah. We ended up spending a lot more time on, yeah, on what we've done so far, but we're going to talk a little bit about Arizona and the rest of the Pac-12. So stick around. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the rest of the Pac-12. Uh, that's fallen by the wayside at times this year. It's been a weird season in the conference. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the game coming up this Friday uh, against Arizona, who is horrific. I was actually earlier in the year thinking about flying to Arizona to go to this game because I've never been to a game in Tucson. My parents spend the winters there, but scheduling wise, it didn't work out. And I'm so relieved that it didn't work out because could you imagine <laughs> traveling to an away game for this team and having it be against this Arizona team? They're down to their third string quarterback and two walk-ons. Uh, they just got obliterated by a Colorado team that had scored like three points per game over their last five games. How much worse is Arizona than you expected? Real bad. <laughs> I thought, I thought I'll just say this to frame it a little bit more. I kind of looked at this Arizona team as kind of where UW was in the first Sarkeesian year, which was, mm. Not super talented, but there's like a dead cat bounce coming. Like they'd been so bad the year before yeah. that things just can't go as badly the next year. And there was at least a little bit of talent and having a competent and engaged coach trying to uh, find the ways to use that talent would just make a difference on its own as opposed mm -hmm. to like exiting coaching staff that had basically given up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it hasn't gone that way at all. I think that's – well, I think the issue is last year they were really bad but had talent, like with Ganell, who then went to Memphis, I think, and then uh, Barry, Barry Hill. Is he still there? There's the Barry two, Hill's still there, yeah. He's still there. There's um, Booby something, um, Ganell's high school friend from Houston. God, I hate that I know all that information just off the top of my head. Uh, think about what think about how smart I could be if I didn't have that bull crap stuck in my frontal lobe. Um, anyways, so yeah, they had like a certain level of talent, but just anybody who paid attention to college football last decade knew that Kevin Sumlin is just a just a terrible coach. And so I like going into last year, I was like, yeah, Arizona is gonna suck shit. And then and then they sucked even worse than I was expecting. But this year they're less talented, but they. I don't think they're as bad by itself, but they are so bad and so unlucky combined that it makes the end result way worse <laughs> or not way worse, but worse. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, it is. And it's, it's strange that that's happened. Like it's hard for a team that's that bad to get that unlucky two years in a row, but it seems like that's exactly the way that it's gone. I do love it. Just, I feel bad for Arizona people, but it, it just from an outsider standpoint at a certain point, a certain amount of suckage is 
is like you're just watching it in awe that anyone can hit that low knock on wood 2008 called yeah right it, it really does feel a lot like that and I, I feel bad for them but I would be I mean I have not been an optimistic person about this Huskies team really at all since the Montana game and I there's just no way that we don't win this game by multiple scores yeah uh, on the road which i i'm i I don't even feel like i'm jinxing anything i regret like i'm gonna regret saying that that's arizona is just in such bad shape if if we don't win by many at least a few dozen points i'll you know as if i I was about to say if we don't win by at least a few dozen points i'll be very worried as if you know otherwise things are going great (laughs) yeah my two-year-old daughter when she like the quantities of things that she knows are one and many, 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 many touchdowns. It's so cute. Yeah. Today she said uh, she doesn't want to get hit by a truck because oh. she'd have to have a Band-Aid on her head. And we said, well, you're going to need more than just a Band-Aid on your head. And she said, many, many Band-Aids. <laughs> That's the uh, cutest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Oregon is five and one. But other than the win over Ohio State, uh, they they of their five wins they beat up on Stony Brook who's nothing they just snuck out of Fresno with a win they were beating the same Arizona team that we were just you know making fun of by five points going into the fourth quarter before they pulled away a little bit they lost to Stanford and then this week they needed a goal line stop against a pretty bad Cal team to hold on to win uh, is Oregon good I mean I know they have a five and one record are they good um, I think they're a bad five for a five and one team. I don't think they're good, but they're still a five and one team. And so it's like a, a, a bad five and one team is still better than most other teams. So, yeah, I mean, they're better than we are right now. Like our, our, you know, uh, rivals are listening to this and saying like, Oh, who are you to talk? Yeah, this you is, we're now putting on our, our PAC 12 analyst hats. We've owned our, our yeah. own uh, humiliation you can't possibly uh, accuse us of being biased right now because or or being too pro husky because uh, we've just spent the last however many minutes being like yeah we suck <laughs> just to, let's talk about it from as many different angles as we can imagine mm-hmm. just all the things that are wrong with the program yeah. and the players and the coaches the thing they have had a lot of injuries that's worth noting yeah that, you know a lot of important players have been hurt uh, it seems like just in talent on their base baseline talent level that they should be winning more of these games more easily. Uh, I think, you know, if that Ohio state game had gone slightly differently and they hadn't pulled that out and they were four and two with the rest of the same resume, there'd be a lot more consternation about it because they just haven't looked good. Like they've won so ugly. And that's yeah. not to say that, you know, five and one is five and one, but it doesn't really like, auger well for the future like when they do start playing some of the better teams in the conference like the ones that we just listed that they have played in since the conference season started arizona stanford and cal are not close to the upper echelon i mean probably none of them are in the top half of the conference this year uh so oregon is gonna you know could very easily end up with three plus losses in the regular season, which would be kind of catastrophic for where they they expected to be at the start of the year which kind of makes me wonder are we sure that like USC and LSU should be hot on the trail of Mario Cristobal? I, yeah, yeah, no, I think you pretty much nailed it. And I think, you know, there's, um, 
the not all this is kind of what analytics try to get down to is that like not all wins are created equal and not all losses are created equal and this was why like coming out of 2015 I along with uh, you know other people who have much higher authority and prestige than me at that time or ever um like I predicted that yeah like UW was going to be a really good team in 2016 because if you looked at their wins in 2015 which were like just just did they just destroyed people when they won and then their losses were by like what I think it was an average of like five or four points or something and so and obviously that alone just looking at point differential like isn't it all by itself but yeah if you if you look a team that's like six and six but their wins were just blowouts and their losses were just a couple bad bounces isn't that can that can be a much better team than another team that's like nine and three or whatever i mean that's what we saw when you saw stanford and iowa in the rose bowls iowa was undefeated or I know they had one loss, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Stanford had the two, and they just like destroyed them because not all wins and not all losses are created equal. Um, just like not all rosters are created equal. Like there's talent differences, and there's and so yeah, I think obviously if you're looking at what you get to play for, like you want to have as many wins as you want. But if you're looking at projectability, that five and one shouldn't be isn't shouldn't be projecting you shouldn't look at that and then project Oregon to to be continuing that with those results um on that pace yeah one more and then we'll finish up with Pac-12 talk who's the best team in the Pac-12 South I was really coming around on Arizona State I thought that BYU game was kind of a blip on the radar where they had I think it ended up being like 18 penalties it's like a very nearly unbelievable number of penalties. And then they kind of did the same thing. It wasn't penalties this time, but it was just like one, just shooting themselves in the foot against Utah. They gave up 28 unanswered points to you know finish the game. I guess this is kind of the thing you worry about. Like things just kind of fall apart when there's brain drain from your coaching staff and they're just not allowed to be part of the team anymore because they did whatever they did. Do you think Utah is legitimately the best team in the South right now? Or would you put your money on somebody else? I mean, I, I, so much of this college football season within the Pac-12 and outside of it has just been like everything I thought would be true. It hasn't, it hasn't been, it has been wrong, but it hasn't even been proven wrong so definitively that I'm like, aha, a different answer. It's like, just everything is like this mush of where I'm like, I don't even know who's good and who's bad. Nothing. I think everyone is just bad. Like, I'm like, there's no good college football teams except for Georgia and that team that never punts um, in like FCS or whatever. Like, I just, I, I guess I'd go with Utah. And I thought Utah was going to be pretty good going into this year. I was pretty high on them and I thought they could definitely win the South. I, I, man, I really don't know. And it's not because there's like this race for it. It's because I look at every team and I'm like, man, there's Arizona who sucks. There's Colorado who sucks, but slightly less. There's USC who's busy doing what they always do. There's UCLA who started out looking pretty hot, but I wasn't buying and uh, was right because they're just, you know, they're not, they're, y- we all know, like it's it's UCLA <laughs> doing what That's they're doing. That's a good like, quality of your results team. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. A win and, over LSU ended up being a little less glamorous yeah, than shiny. 
Um, and then Utah, I mean, you, Utah and ASU, I mean, ASU, like you said, it made sense with all their brain drain from that gigantic scandal. Um, <laughs> God, when, yeah. Uh, so it felt to me like it was like, so there for Utah to take. And I think for what it's worth, you know, I put a pin in that. Well, first I'm going to finish this sentence and then I'll come back to this. I think with Cameron rising, I, they, they, I feel like they're, I feel like they're a better team now than they were at the beginning of the year. And then back to where I put that pin in, I have watched, this is back to you, Deb, kind of, I have watched less college football and NFL, but like I've watched less football this year than I have pretty much ever, except for, for a little bit when I was living in Vancouver without a TV. It like, and that comes back to like, our discussion about like Washington and creating fan apathy. Anybody who knew, I was like embarrassed as a little kid because my version of a fidget spinner as a child was a football. I would just like throw it, like carry it with me everywhere and just like kind of constantly be chucking it around. Do you know how apathetic, like how much you have to work to make me this apathetic about college football? So that was just my, that was just my little note about what has happened with Washington. Anyways, back to Utah, <laughs> um, which I, sorry, which I meant the Utah thing reminded me of that because if you had asked me like, oh, talk more about Utah two years ago, I would have been like all over it. I could have told you exactly why Trevor versus Cam Rising were blah, 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 and whatever. And I just haven't watched them like I would have in the past, uh, which is kind of depressing, but, or freeing. It, depending on how you want to look at it but yeah I think I think or Utah's a um I think they're a better team now than they were and they could still take the south but uh no one looks great just like no one looks great in the north just no one looks great period yeah I, I think that analysis of Utah whether you've watched them or not a lot or not squares with what I've seen from them and I think the first time I watched them in it like a full game was their BYU game where they played very very poorly uh and rising has played so much better than Brewer played when he was in the lineup that it it's kind of like mind boggling that they settled on Brewer in the first place. Uh, I, I didn't have super high hopes for rising based on what I'd seen and heard of him before, but he has looked very good. Like, you know, maybe not running the most complex version of their offense, but if, even if it's just make one read, if it's not there, pull it down and run, it's working. And Utah tends to be at their best when they, are more committed to the ground game anyway. Mm -hmm. So it, it, those things are, are kind of working the way they're supposed to. And it, that's great. But based on how the season has gone, like you were saying, and how they looked against BYU, if they Pass. just kind of went back to that for two or three weeks, can I say confidently that that's not going to happen? Of course not. Like I, I have no <laughs> idea what they're going to do, but it, right now, at least it's kind of like theirs to lose. They're three and zero in conference. I wrote in, in our, in one of my picks columns a few weeks ago that I think it was, they were going into a game against, I want to say Stanford two weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was Washington state, uh, but they were two and two. They had two disappointing non-conference losses. Although it turns out that I think it was San Diego State and BYU who are both not so bad, but it was kind of the same position UW was in going into the Oregon State game, mm, yeah. and and things have just gone off the rails for UW and Utah sees the opportunity by guess what, changing the way they run their offense, yeah, and and becoming more efficient as the season has gone along. Oh, I think it was when they were going into USC actually, and they played great against USC. So yeah, good for them, good for Kyle Whittingham. No surprise that they're doing well. 
Yeah. Um, let's go into the recommendations and plugs. Uh, anything you want to recommend this week? Uh, oh, maybe this whole thing is just maybe apathetic about everything. Um, <laughs> well, oh, oh, I do have to make a amendment to a previous one. Uh, it was really bad timing. A couple, two weeks ago, ooh, two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago, I plugged the Ballard Comedy Club with Hales. Um, and now they're, so they're, cause of financial stuff, they are stepping back and just having their Monday, like Monday showcases instead of their Thursday through Sunday, um, like weekend headliner spots. Mondays are still good. I recommend them. Um, but yeah, don't show up on a Friday and be like, wait, where, where, what's going on? So that seems relevant. Otherwise, what have I even done? I don't know. I finished Ted Lasso, which I don't want to be one of those people who's like, hey, you know this thing you've heard about a hundred gazillion times? Well, let me tell you about it a hundred gazillion and one times. Um, but it really was at the, the end of season two. I'm not going to mention any characters by name, but the especially for a comedy like it had. There's one character who I think I haven't seen a character who is so well understood and completely known by their by the writers of a show like this character and these writers in a really 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 long time um especially not in a comedy um so highly recommend that whole thing um even though i know i already said it otherwise i don't know i have no idea what i've been watching i've been watching kraken stuff and public tv because it's calm I, I mean, I didn't know that they were, that they kind of pulled back on the comedy club. I, I think that means I went to the last you went weekend to the, of headliners. Oh, no, shows. you went to the second to last weekend. Second plus, oh, okay. Because I, yeah. I went on a Friday anyway, so it wouldn't yeah. be the last one, but and very enjoyable. Glad you it, saw Derek Sheen, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, he was very, very funny. Yeah. And also, uh, I forgot the guy's name now, Nikita, Nikita Oster. Oster. Yeah. Oster. Russian, uh, yeah. Russian, Russian he guy. He really cracked He's me funny. up. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I also am in the boat of like, this is something everybody already knows about, but Succession came back. The first new episode mm-hmm. back was, I, I like usually don't like these shows that are just like, look at all the drama, like nothing's actually yeah. happening, but there's a lot of like posturing and people making serious faces. But I feel like yeah. this show is almost like a parody of that, or maybe it's not trying to be, but just ends up there anyway. And yeah. I, I, I think they're trying to be funny, but I end up laughing at the show a lot. And I enjoy it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Actually, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, if anyone has, if anyone has any shows they want, they think I, they, they think we go. should watch return the favor, man. There's a lot of stuff to watch right now. There's, so, There's the so great British baking show. Oh yeah. Uh, that's oh, I need going to catch on up now. on Bake Off. There's a, uh, yeah. That's a good came back. There's something else. Booster. I don't know. We got a lot, a lot in the uh, queue. It's hard to get through everything. There's sports on as well. That's why I hate it. It's so overwhelming. It is. There's just too much entertainment. Sit there and watch all the entertainment. Life is hard. Watch a middle-aged Norwegian man cook on top of a mountain. Hey, that's a good one. (laughs) That's you're gonna really like the this season of the Bake Off because it's dominated by a middle-aged German man cooking by himself in the back of a tent. Nice. I watched the first episode, but yeah, he's great. I wonder how many people are still listening to this. Go away. Stop (laughs) listening. Turn us off. We're really like pacing this out like a John Donovan (laughs) offense where the second half just becomes kind of drab and and predictable. Uh, So let's end it and join us next week when we will be joined by the man, the myth, the Cody Pickett. 
At least we're hoping. Oh, no, it's real. It's real this time. All right. Thanks for listening and go dogs.